Good evening, everyone. This is Pastor James Doggett Jr. And I am so excited that you tuned in tonight. I actually brought a surprise. I got my family here with me, my beautiful wife, Demia. And I got my beautiful daughter, Noah. Say hi. Hi. And then I have my handsome son, James Doggett III. His name is Poppy. Poppy, say hi. Hi. Yeah, we're so excited that you all have chosen to tune in tonight. We are in for a treat. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that my family is praying with you and for you. Uh, my amazing family has been there, y'all, to support me as we've been hosting this thing night to night. And I want you to know that they love you. Do y'all love them? We love y'all. Yes. And we're praying for you. And we're excited about what the Lord is going to do on this evening. Again, welcome. Say welcome. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for the support. We truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Us doggets that are behind the scenes. Absolutely. All right, y'all, let's move on with the program. At this time, we're going to shift into a more formal welcome. And again, we say thank you so very much for tuning in this evening. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening, and good evening. This is your friend and brother in Christ, Pastor James Doggett Jr., and I am privileged, y'all, to be the host of this evening's Quarantine Moving Forward Revival. God has been good. I'm so excited tonight to worship with y'all, my family, my Quarantine Revival virtual family. I appreciate you guys. Come on in. We're finally live, and we want you guys to go ahead and press that share button. We want to encourage you to let everyone know that this is happening live right here, right now, at the Quarantine Moving Forward Revival. That means you got to stop and press that button, press that share button so that everyone can know that God is doing something great right here. Tell us where you're from. Many of you guys have already tuned in and let us know that you are looking, you're, you're tuning in from, let me see, I see some Bermudians in the house. Okay, Bermuda is represented, Charlotte, North Carolina. We see you. We also have some people from Huntsville, Alabama. We appreciate you, Pasadena, California, all the way from the West Coast. Thank you guys so much for coming. Go ahead and let us know in the comment section, where are you tuning in from? We want to give you some love, some shout outs, and we again appreciate you guys for tuning in at this midway point in our week to worship God. If you're ready to worship him, let me just encourage you right now. The God that we serve is good. And you know what he is? He is a miracle worker, which means that if you are in need of a miracle, if you need God to step into your situation and to turn that thing around, then I'm here to tell you right now, right here, that God can and God will move on your behalf. We're going to assault the heavens tonight in prayer. We're going to have a good time singing unto the Lord. We're even going to hear a good word from the man of God who has been positioned to preach this evening. And I'm so excited because God has some great things in store for us tonight. So go ahead and press that share button one more time. And also let us know where you're tuning in from. Guys, I'm not here alone. Again, my family, I, I just want to say thank you to my wife and my kids for coming through and showing some love. We are all praying for you. Listen, many of us have been sharing our prayer requests, and there's so many things that we need to pray about tonight. And we have somebody who is in the place, who's in the virtual sanctuary. <laughs> he's in the virtual house, and he's going to pray with us and for us. As a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and ask if Dr. Bushner's on the line, if Pastor Warfield's on the line. I'm going to go ahead and put this in gallery view real quick so that y'all can know that I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. They are here. Let me throw it in the gallery. There they go. There they go. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Glad to be here. I'm excited. I'm just glad to be in the meeting. 
Hey, we're excited we're about it, man. Pastor Warfield, you in the place? We in the place, man. We in the place. Glad to be here, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. I just wanted to show y'all their faces real quick because they are here. So let me go back. And I want to let you guys know that we appreciate all of you who've been sowing your seeds. We have been able to, over the first 10 days of our revival, be a tremendous blessing to so many people who are in financial need. And can I tell you guys, and I'm excited. This is, this is why. This is why. God is doing so much stuff. But let me just tell you that we have now reached officially the midpoint of not just our week, but the midpoint of our revival. Ooh, God has been good. He positioned Pastor Warfield strategically on night 11. And this is why. Because we've already looked at, we've had 10 nights of worship. That's behind us now. After tonight, we're going to have 10 more nights of worship. But tonight, we're right there at the center. We're right there in the middle, which means I'm encouraging all of you right now to take inventory of your lives, take inventory of your spiritual state. Because here it is, we have one more half to go. And I'm excited because at halftime, y'all know what happens at halftime. Doesn't matter where you are, if you're ahead or if you're behind, you got to take some time, got to regroup, come together with your teammates in the <laughs> locker room. And I believe that this is yes, our sir. locker room talk right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe yeah. Pastor Warfield, as the coach that God has positioned for the evening, is about to give us a half, uh, what is this, a halftime pep talk. He's going to let us know, listen, guys, you got to kick it in the gear. It's time for us to start playing like we know we need to play. Go out there and follow the plan like God told us to follow it. And tonight I'm excited because right, right now we're going to have our, our halftime worship experience. That's what we're going to call it. And you know what? Let's use this hashtag tonight. Let's use the hashtag QR Miracles. Mm. Let me say that again. The hashtag for tonight is QR Miracles. You know why? because I believe that some of you guys are praying for some miracles. You're praying for God to do something great by the end of this revival. And I'm here to tell you at, at halftime that God still has more time to get that thing done. Don't you stop praying about it. Don't you stop believing and holding on to God's hand and trusting that he'll move on your behalf. Ladies and gentlemen, you still got time. And if you haven't been praying, let me tell you to pray right now. It's time to pick up our faith. And y'all, let's go into the locker room and come back out ready to go to work in building God's kingdom and tearing the devil's kingdom down. I'm excited Man, tonight. Yes, I'm excited that you guys are here with us. Again, the hashtag tonight is hashtag QR miracles because we believe God is going to work a miracle on your behalf. Before we go into our prayer, before we have our song, before we have our sermon, I want you guys to know that you have been so generous. Thank you. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you because you guys have been so faithful in sowing. Let me tell you that we've been able to bless families all over the country. We've been able to bless a young lady who's a single mother up in Michigan. We were able to bless another single mother over in Houston. We were able to bless a family here in Florida. We were able to bless another uh, pregnant single mother who's quarantining now who just had her baby. Y'all were excited because she just successfully delivered her baby yesterday over in Virginia. And all of you guys, all of the money that you've been giving, all the money you've been sowing has gone to help meet these families' financial needs. So let me say thank you. I celebrate you. You guys are doing an awesome job. If you desire to, so let me show you how you can do it. We have a couple of different options here. You can do it via cash app or here's PayPal right here. PayPal, you can use the email the quarantine revival at gmail.com through paypal again that's the quarantine revival at gmail.com let me tell you guys we just told y'all about it last night and we have over 400 that you've given since last night through paypal so i need to say thank you to you guys as you're making the adjustment 
PayPal is now an option, thequarantinerevival at gmail.com via um, PayPal. And you can also do, give through the cash app. That is with the money sign, the quarantine revival. That's the handle, the money sign, the quarantine revival. So you can give via PayPal through the quarantine revival at gmail.com email or through cash app by giving it to the hashtag or the, yeah, the, the money sign, the quarantine revival via cash app. And we again say, thank you guys so very much y'all. Guess what? So last week we had on Saturday night, we had a mystery speaker and a mystery artist. And guess what? We have the same thing happening this upcoming Saturday, and I'm excited about it. But not only do we have a mystery uh, preacher and mystery singer preaching and singing on Saturday night, Saturday night is going to be the night where we have our first baptism of the revival. If you're excited about baptisms, then go ahead and press that button, that like button, press that heart button. Let us know that you celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people all over the world through the quarantine revival. Saturday night is the night where we are going to have our official first time virtual baptism. This young lady is about to get baptized for the whole world to see. And we're excited about it. So I just want to let you know that that's taking place on Saturday night. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I want to pause here and ask you to share because God is about to do something great. He's about to do something great this evening. And we want to make sure everyone is aware of what he's about to do. Dr. Bushner is in the building. Now, Dr. Bushner is going to be preaching for us tomorrow night, but he was gracious enough to come and to lead us to the throne of God through prayer tonight. So Dr. Bushner, if you don't mind, I want you to come and I want you to pray for us. Take us to the throne, be our intercessor this evening. Let me share with you, Dr. Bushner, that we have some people who are asking for special prayer. We have Pat, um, who uh, we have a lady by the name of Pat in Huntsville, who we wanna just call out by name. She's mm -hmm. going through some, uh, some serious trials right now and we want God to bring healing to her body. We want God to give glory in her life. We have some people who sent uh, to us some prayer requests for co-workers who were diagnosed with this virus, mm. that God would heal these co-workers. We're praying for financial blessing for some people who are struggling financially. Let me see who else we're praying for. We're praying for um, not just our sick, not just those who are financially um, in trouble, but we're also praying for deliverance from, oh yes, we're praying for deliverance from addiction, deliverance from our past. And we're praying that God would propel us forward into the future. I appreciate you guys, by the way, for sending in your prayer requests. We want to pray with specificity. So continue to send in those requests. And tonight, Dr. Bush, if you don't mind, please be our intercessor and take us to the throne. I'll be glad to be glad to let us pray. Loving eternal God, our father, what a privilege it is that we can bring everything to you in prayer. We come humbly because you said we can cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of having unrestricted access where we can come into the throne room of God, the monarch of the universe, and place our petitions before your very throne. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we acknowledge how unworthy we are. We confess our sins that we are undone. We realize and recognize we need a savior. And we plead the blood tonight. We acknowledge without you, we cannot make it. And so therefore, God, we cast all of our cares upon you. We ask now that you would fill us with your spirit. And like David said, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit so we can worship you and bless you so that this prayer can enter into your prayer chamber. Even now, oh, heavenly father, we not only acknowledge our sins, but we confess them 
And then we just want to thank you for the mighty blessings you've given to us. Thank you for this quarantine revival. Thank you for breakthroughs. Thank you for how you have healed someone and how someone has made a decision to follow you. We thank you and we bless you tonight. But then, Father, before we close this prayer, we want to supplicate your throne on behalf of Pat. We pray for healing for her body. Oh, God, we realize that there is a bomb in Gilead that can heal the sin-sick soul. We realize that you are the God who can heal. And the same God that gave sight to the blind that opened up deaf ears, the same God that had more pharmaceutical power in the hem of his garment. When a woman touched it, we pray that same virtue will go out right now and touch Pat. We pray for financial healing. We pray, Lord, for families who are going through this crisis, those who have experienced the loss of loved ones. Oh, God, tonight we lift up all of your people tonight in a mighty way, asking that you would intercede, that you would move in a mighty way. We give you permission to be God. And then, Father, after we pray this prayer, we know and believe in faith you will answer it by and by. And now we lift up the man of God tonight. Pastor Melvin Warfield, we ask God that you will anoint him, saturate his mind. We pray that you will touch his lips and loose his brain, that he might move with fluidity and that as the word of God goes forth, may somebody see Jesus. We ask, Lord, that we would feel the Pentecostal power tonight. We thank you for J.D. Dog Doggett Jr., Pastor Doggett, for the vision. We pray that you'll continue to bless his lovely family, his wife and two children, Continue to anoint him tonight, God. Thank you for this quarantine revival. Somebody is going to experience a breakthrough. Somebody is going to see Jesus and they'll never be the same. And Father, as I close this prayer, I'm reminded that psychologists say it takes 21 days to change a habit. We're in day 11. We had 10 days and we're now day 11, which means we're now at the midpoint, 10 more days. So 21 days, God, after this revival is finished, some lives ought to be changed. Some hearts ought to be renovated and some minds ought to be more like Jesus. So, Father, tonight we celebrate you. We thank you. And the same energy and enthusiasm that comes from J.D. Doggett. I feel it in the room tonight. I know something is going to happen. I feel the pastor is going to preach with power. And tonight we give you permission to move tonight like you never moved before in the name of Jesus. We pray this prayer. Amen and amen. My God, my God, my God. Thank you, Pastor Bushner. Thank you, Dr. Bushner, for taking us to the throne. I feel that same spirit that's moving right here, right now. And we're appreciative that it's not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit, saith the Lord. And with the spirit, we got everything we need. So thank you for praying for us this evening. At this time, I want to just say that we do have a preacher who's in the building. His name is none other, the virtual building that is, his name is none other than Pastor Melvin Warfield. Oh yes, this is a mighty man of God, a friend. We go back a couple of years, man. He actually is a native of Columbus, Ohio. But let me tell you something, he lived a long time in California, all right? So he's basically a Californian. Yeah, you can claim the West Coast. I'm not even going to put it in gallery view because I don't need them to see you shaking your head right now. <laughs> all I know all I know is Pastor Warfield is a man of the cloth. And let, let me tell you something. He was born with a preaching robe on. Like he came out ready to preach the gospel. That's, that's the type of anointing that's on him. He actually does come from ministry. His parents 
pastors and deep in the gospel ministry. And he's pastored in different churches, various churches around the country. He has a breadth of experience and knowledge. He has a heart for discipleship. He believes that we are to create disciples by doing what we do. We should help make someone else's life better. And we appreciate him for living that truth out. He's married to his best friend. And we're excited that she and their kids are providing them this time to come and deliver this message to us this evening. So what we're going to do is we're going to now have a song that will be sung by his sister-in-law, Wendy Williams. And as she lifts up her voice tonight in song, the very next voice you will hear after Wendy Williams sings will be none other than Pastor Melvin Warfield. We're excited for this locker room talk tonight. We're ready to be inspired, encouraged, and given some guidance. So right now we're praying for you, Pastor Warfield, and we appreciate you for being here.
But God, we want to do more than just apply to our lives. We want the holy boldness that we need to be able to share with the world around us. And so, God, we pray that you would give us the kind of clarity that comes from knowing that the Holy Spirit is in the room. And then, Lord, if my name is forgotten, face-stricken from memory, no one remembers who preached, then that is wonderful. If your purpose has been fulfilled, then your divine purpose alone is what we seek. And we will all forthrightly declare hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, John chapter 9 is a familiar passage. Like I said, we're coming off of some powerful experiences leading up to John chapter 9. Uh, and again, let me share with you that this passage has gained new meaning for me uh, during this particular season in all of our lives, this season of uncertainty where nothing seems to make sense. Uh, John chapter 9 gives us a little bit of clarity into uh, a glimpse into the practice and, and presence and power of God. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting now that as we endeavor to kind of find meaning in all of this and kind of struggle to figure out what exactly is going on and, and, and try and make sense of the world around us, everyone has come up with uh, an answer. Everyone has an idea. Everybody has some theory as to why this is happening and whose fault is it? Where did it start? Um, we sit down and we, we, we have all of our theological musings about what time it is and what this means and, and all of these things. And we want to, we want to, we want to cast blame. We want to, we want to be so theologically adept that we want to be able to decipher what this means. And, and all of these things are coming out and you can spend your time on social media. You can get lost in all of the different articles and different definitions and all of that stuff. Uh, this is the challenge here. Um, we typically have a tendency to find cause rather than purpose. Um, we, we typically have a tendency, I think, uh, to look for the, the, the cause, to look for the, the, the reason why versus discovering what God wants you to do with it. Um, one, one, one very interesting article that I was reading years ago talked to uh, an individual who had done great ministry in the blind community, uh, who himself was blind. And in an, in an interview setting, uh, the person who was interviewing him, who had, who had done all of this ministry for people in the blind community, uh, people who, who were either born blind or lost their sight over the years, uh, they said to him, uh, do you ever resent being born blind? Uh, and he said, no, I don't resent blindness. He said, in fact, uh, that it's in being blind that I understand the needs of the blind. Um, that's a challenging notion uh, to be able to say that with great, with great confidence and authority, that it's in being blind that we understand the needs of the blind. John chapter nine introduces us to a change in perspective when it comes to the problems that we encounter. Uh, I want you to jaywalk with me back a few verses back into verse one, John chapter nine. Uh, where the Bible says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responds in verse three. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, uh, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Whatever translation you're reading may say it's that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Uh, what, what's happening here in this passage, uh, before we go any further, you've got to understand that the disciples are asking the theologically correct question. 
they, they've read the scriptures. They understand what Exodus 20 says, that I, the Lord, am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon, upon the third and fourth generation. They believe that you can, you can judge a man's guilt by his affliction, uh, that, that if he's sick, then he must be sinful. That whatever it is that he has encountered, whatever it is that has caused this degree of suffering in his life, it must be his fault. And so they ask the theologically uh, correct question. The challenge is their perspective is wrong. Uh, and, and I want to I want to just pause for a moment, because what has happened during this whole pandemic experience uh, is that there has been a lot of criticism about what the church wasn't instead of looking at what the church is called to do. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is while we're quick to look for the problem and we're quick to point out what's wrong and we're quick to try to theologically point out the ecclesiastical inconsistencies in the body of Christ and we want to sit around and talk about that, that everything was wrong before the pandemic and now that the pandemic has come, now the church has an opportunity to get it right. And I think, I think that we're off base just a little bit because what the pandemic has actually done, it, it has pointed out opportunities for the church to show the love and grace and passion and power of God. Uh, that, that this is, is not about what the church was doing wrong before the pandemic started. That this is about the opportunities that the church has now to share the gospel. So you've got to get this in your mind, not to be so quick uh, to point out the flaws or the issue, because what comes behind this in, jo in John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus comes and clearly states, it is neither this man's fault nor his parents that he was born blind, but it's that the works of God should be displayed in his life. So, so here's the challenge. Here's the problem. The problem is, I want to be so deep that I can point out what's wrong, but I don't want to discover what God is calling me to do. It's easy to sit around and point the finger and say that the church was doing this wrong before and the church was doing this wrong before and the church was broken. And now that the church has, now that we've closed the doors and we're no longer hiding behind the praise team and no longer hiding behind our worship experience, I wish somebody would get in their head that every time those Levites stand before the people of God and lift up praise to the Lord, ain't nobody hiding behind worship. There were breakthroughs happening in church. People were still being delivered in church. There was still God moving in church. It's not about what the church was doing wrong. It's really about the fact that now that a pandemic has come, God is saying, now is a time for me to show my glory in your life. Now is a time for me to show what I can truly do in your life. And so we've got to change our perspective that this isn't about what was going wrong. In fact, it makes the church self centered to look at a pandemic and say, well, now is the time for us to be better. No, we have to look at this as an opportunity for us to show Jesus to the world. This pandemic ain't about the church. This thing is about saving souls. This isn't about the church being wrong. This is about how can we be the miraculous hands and feet of Jesus in a world of people that are hurt.
hurting. They're asking the theologically proper question, but Jesus deals with the perspective and says, it is not this man's fault nor his parents. It is that the works of God should be made manifest in him. It is the reality that you don't have to sit around asking whose fault is it. Anybody can point fingers. We're not sitting around saying who did it and why. We're saying, God, now that it's here, show up in my life. Now that it's here, show me who I can bless. Now that it's here, show me who I can pray for. Now that it's here, show me that I can provide for somebody. This is an opportunity for the church to see what God can do. Uh, I want you I want you to see this thing. John chapter nine continues on. They're asking the theologically proper question and Jesus cuts right to the heart of it and says, it is not this man's fault nor his parents' fault that he was born blind. And the challenge comes when we are dealing with vision. Uh, this is the reality. When we talk about blindness, there were two types of blindness. Either you could lose your sight over time or you could have been born blind. It is one thing for you to know what flowers used to look like, right? It's one thing for you to be able to remember a sunset. It's something for you to be able to remember the face of your parents or to remember the face of your loved one. The challenge comes when you're born blind and you've got no frame of reference for sight. You don't even know what, what, what sight is. And so the challenge for us is how do we deal with spiritual vision when we never had it in the first place? How do we deal with it when I don't, know, I don't even know how to see what God wants me to see? I don't even know how to discern what God wants me to discern. It's challenging. I want you to get this. This is where it gets hairy for me. It's challenging because sometimes what I see in God's word doesn't match what I've been shown. Mm. Let me make sure you get this thing. Um, it's hard for me when what I see in the word doesn't match my surroundings. Spiritual blindness is not just about not knowing where the church needs to go next or not knowing what God wants to do in my life. Spiritual blindness also comes in the form of not being able to see in, in the world around you what you have been promised in the word. And so it's challenging for me when I hear that God is a loving God and then I go to his people, but I don't see his love. It's it's challenging for me when I hear that he can provide for my every need, but then I'm struggling to make ends meet because every now and then what I see in the word doesn't match what I've been shown in my life. What, what I see in this word doesn't always match what I see around me. And I have to deal with the dissonance. I, I have to deal with the tension of my faith and my reality. I've got to deal with the tension of what I believe and what I proclaim and what I'm experiencing. It's not always that easy for church folk to have spiritual eyesight when everything seems to be going wrong around them. I know we have lots of phrases and we can say blessed and highly favored and God is good all the time and all the time God is good and it's my season and I'm the head and not the tail. That all sounds good in church. But when I've been quarantined for the last two months and I'm still trying to homeschool children and my hours have been cut back or my position has been eliminated and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do this thing. How am I going to make it to the store? How am I going to make sure that my family stays safe? All of those flowery platitudes of church don't hold any water when I'm dealing with the reality that my faith is in tension with my reality. 
Uh, and so, and so John chapter nine is a profound passage. Jesus is cutting past all of the theological discussion. Let me make sure you understand this. Pharisees ain't saving nobody. I gotta make sure you get it. Because uh, you can have a good argument and you can sit down and you can discuss over whether the 144,000 is a literal number or a figurative number and you can pat yourself on your back. Pharisees ain't saving nobody. Anybody can point out what's wrong with the church. Anybody can sit around and argue over stuff. But this is the reality. Jesus says it's not about whose fault this is. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for the power of God to be made manifest in somebody's life. This is a change of perspective. Remember, we're talking about a change of perspective because now if you could just look at your life and realize that your problem is really a platform for God to preach, that your problem is really a platform for God to show up, that your issue is really an opportunity for God to flash his divinity in your life, you begin to look at this as an opportunity for the power of God to be made manifest in your life. John chapter nine, I want you to continue on. There are, there are parts of this that have to be applied to your life. John chapter nine, uh, he says in verse four, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then the Bible says in verse six, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Here's where it gets tense for us. Um, the, the, the passage continues on that, number one, if we are going to experience the power of God, especially in this pandemic season, we got to change our perspective. We've got to look at this as the opportunity for the Lord to do what he has always promised he would do. This is an opportunity for, his, for, for, for what we have read in the word for us to see his character and, and the word align. It's an opportunity for us to see what he has promised us, that he is who he says he is. And so in John chapter nine, after we've read all of that and after we've seen the challenge of the, of the perspective, uh, now comes this particular portion. Uh, he says in John chapter, chapter nine, verse six, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Uh, this, is the, this is the issue of the passage. Um, they believe that the saliva of a holy man, when married with some, some expensive trinket, right, will bring along uh, healing. Uh, so, so Jesus, this is what I love about the Lord. Jesus is willing to meet you where you are. Uh, he's willing to work within your broken belief system, right? He says, I know y'all believe that spit of a righteous man married with with some gold uh, diamond encrusted trinket will bring about healing. So I know that you feel like there's some power in spit. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to spit in the dirt. Uh, I'm going to make some mud and put it on your eyes so that you can attribute this to any silver or gold. You will have to, you'll have to sit back and see that this is God and God alone. Uh, that God spits in the dirt. He does it so that nobody can get glory but me. He does it so that no one can see the power of God come from any place else but these hands. Now, this is what I need you to recognize. Uh, mud is, is messy. Um, for those of you that don't know, I have three children who like to play in the mud. JD, I know what you, I know what you go through with your, with your little people who like to play in dirty stuff. Um, this is, this is where I just want to drop just, just this part. Uh, just let me pause for a moment and share this, uh, that God has a habit 
of pulling miracles out of mess. I want to, I want to make sure you get that part, uh, that God has a regular habit of pulling miracles out of mess. In fact, in fact, I want to go further for you and, and suggest that for us to truly see what God is doing in our lives, we have to see it after we have allowed him to bring us through some mess. We have to see it after he has put the mud on our eyes and told us to go and wash in the pool. God often has a habit of pulling miracles from messy situations. He pulls miracles from broken places. He pulls miracles out of mess every day. And so if you could just wrap your mind around what Jesus is doing in John chapter nine, verse six. In John chapter nine, verse six, he takes their common belief that there is power in the saliva of a holy man, but married with something expensive and says, throw out the gold, throw out the silver, throw out the diamonds and rubies. I'm going to spit in dirt. I'm going to use the thing that I made you out of. I'm going to spit in dirt and make a little bit of mess and put it on your eyes. And then after I'm done putting mess on your eyes, after I've done that, I'll pull miraculous things out of the mess that I have created for you. Now, this is what you have to understand. After he does this, the Bible says very clearly, he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means uh, scent. Uh, and I wondered why uh, he would tell him to go and wash in this pool. Uh, but essentially what he does uh, is he sends him to a pool that bears his name. Mm. Uh, what, what I mean by that um, is that this is a pool uh, that King Hezekiah was responsible for digging uh, so that in the, in, the, in the event that the city was attacked, in the event that they were under siege from some other people, that there would still be water that was coming into the city that could not be cut off even though they were being attacked from the outside. They dug a well that went from a external water source that would come underground into the city so that even in the event of attack, they still had fresh water. I need you to get it. Y'all still get, you, you're not missing, you're, you're not seeing this. Um, what it means here uh, is that he says, I'm sending you to the pool of Siloam that, that, is, by, that is translated sent, meaning water that is sent into the city, uh, meaning that you are now seeing him send him to a pool that represents living water bubbling up in us into everlasting life, even when we're under attack from an enemy on the outside. This, this, this is power coming from an external source. This is, this is living water coming from an external source. This is coming into the city so that in the event that you are being attacked, you still have fresh water. I need you to get it. Come on, let me preach in your living room. That's what I'm doing anyway. Let me make sure you get this thing. Uh, Jesus embodies this notion of being sent from an external source so that there could be living water on the inside of us so that when we are in the midst of challenge, in the midst of persecution, when we're going through our problems, we still have unquenchable, that, that, that water that, that, that never runs dry. We still have that, that water that bubbles up in us into everlasting life. We still have a source that comes from an external place and fills our experience. In fact, 
I want you to realize this. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, that he literally becomes humanity to redeem humanity, that it comes from an external source and becomes what we need to give us life. In fact, the Bible got real happy when it said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You got to get this thing in your heart that God sends us to an external source. He brings in Jesus in order to give us a, a well of living water bubbling up into eternal life. This is the point of the passage that Jesus says, look, he's been born blind uh, and it's not his parents' fault. Uh, I know that we believe that the iniquities of the father are visited upon the third and fourth generation. They, they go so far as to believe that there is such thing as prenatal sin that the baby is so evil that it is literally kicking its way out. And Jesus says, no, none of that is the reason for it. The reason is I needed some place to show my power. That's really what it was. Uh, I needed some place to show that I can give sight to the blind. That's what they prophesied. So I need somebody blind so I can give them sight. What they prophesied was that I was going to come and set captives free. So somebody's got to be captive so that I can bring freedom. What they prophesied was that God, Emmanuel, God with us was coming. And so I need a platform. I need, I need, I need somebody broken so I can show just what I'm capable of. I can't send Peter, James, or John. He rolls up his sleeves and says, this is a job for Jesus. What you have to understand is that your life is the opportunity for God to show up. That your life, in fact, in fact, uh, I, 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 I want you to wrap your head around it this way, that your problems are simply creating elbow room for God. Uh, it's creating some space for him. Uh, it, it's creating some space for him to show every facet of his nature, every part of his power. He shows it in the different challenges of your life. Uh, and so as you continue on in the passage, the Bible says that he goes and he washes in the pool. And after he's washed in the pool, he comes back uh, seeing. And, and after all of that, uh, he comes back and, and they begin this discourse, uh, which was interesting to me. The Bible says he comes back and his neighbors, he came back seeing it. In verse eight, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Uh, some claimed that he was. Listen, others said, no, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. Uh, then the, verse 10, he says, how then were your eyes open? They demanded. Here's where it gets real happy. It says, he replied, the man they called Jesus. That, that, that's, that's it. Uh, the man they call Jesus made some mud. Remember, I told you he brings miracles out of messy situations. He made mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go and wash in the pool and, 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 and so go to uh, Siloam and wash. And when I, when I washed, I could see. Here's verse 12. Where is this man? They asked him and he said, I don't know. Um, this is, this is what was interesting for me in the passage as we went through this whole experience of changing our perspective and understanding what God is doing in this particular season. Uh, after, after he sends him to the pool that bears his name, that, that is the definition of who Jesus is. Uh, after he sends him to the pool and he comes back saying this discussion begins. In fact, the desire of ages says that his entire countenance changes, uh, that when his eyes are opened, his face looks different. And this is what you have to understand before we get any further. 
people will often attribute the, the, the miracles of your life to some practical means. Uh, but before we even get to that point, let me, let me pause here and, and let me just share this with you. It is easier for people to accept who you used to be than it is for them to accept who you are once God moves in your life. Uh, and, so, and so now we have seen this miracle happen. The, 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 the desire of ages says his whole countenance changes. His face looks different because when God moves in your life, something changes. When, when God shows up, you can't look the same. You can't talk the same. You can't act the same. When God shows up, something changes. And so now he's having this conversation with people who only know him to be blind. Uh, they only identify him by his dysfunction. Let me make sure you get this. They, he, he's only recognizable by how broken he is. Because once he's healed, they don't even see who he is anymore. Once he's transformed, he's unrecognizable. So, so there are many people that will recognize you and identify you by who you used to be. It's easier for me to accept the dysfunction that you used to be. It's easier for me to accept the brokenness that you used to be versus experiencing what God is doing in your life now. And then once we begin to see the change, they're saying, wait a minute, this can't be him. And somebody has to get bold in this thing and start sharing their testimonies. That's, the, that's still what we believe, right? That they overcame by the word of their testimony. They have to start sharing the testimony. So as they're arguing over him, he looks like him. Maybe it's him. I know I just threw a couple of dollars at him yesterday. He speaks up and says, it is me. I know you don't get it. I know you don't recognize it. I barely recognize myself, but it is me. The reality is they will accept who you used to be sooner than they will accept who you are now. And it's easier for them to accept that, that, that the doctors got together and they made a plan and formulated the plan and medicine healed your body versus the idea that God could miraculously take the cancer away. It's easier for them when they know that you used to be strung out. They know you to be drunk. They know you to get high all the time. And it's easier for them to accept that maybe you went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you went to Narcotics Anonymous. Maybe you went through the 12-step program. Maybe you went through rehab. It's easier for them to accept that versus waking up one day and realize that God has taken this thing out of my life. It is easier for even the church to accept that God moves practically than it is for them to accept that God moves miraculously. So it only makes sense if the budget is there, if the volunteers are there, if we got enough people to do it, if we have enough resources to do it versus the reality that says God will work with nothing and bring about everything that God will empty something out before he miraculously fills it, that God will do miraculous division before he does divine multiplication, that God is the God who does marvelous things with nothing versus trusting in practicality. Uh, the, cha the, 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 challenge, the challenge we have as Christians sometimes, I'm just going to be real with you, the challenge that I have is that I can be too practical sometimes. Uh, I, I consider myself a realist, which is just a funny way of saying that I'm a pessimist. I, I always look for the problem so that I can be prepared for the worst. I always anticipate what might happen so that I can deal with that before I get my hopes up. And God is slowly shifting me from this practical nature which is which is, which can be a good thing, but can challenge my faith. God is slowly moving me to a place where I have to trust in the miraculous.
I have to be able to trust in what I can't see. I have to be able to rely on what I don't see and don't have. In fact, that's what Hebrews said. Hebrews got so crazy and said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so we have to be able to move from trusting in budgets and trusting in committees and trusting in all the things that we can put our hands on, because if you can do it with a budget, then you don't need God. If you can do it with a committee, then you don't need the presence of the Holy Spirit. But here's the reality. God is trying to take some folk that will gather in an upper room on one accord, and he will he will begin to dance above their heads like tongues of fire so that they can go out and without a budget, without a praise team and without any of those things that we love and need, will still be able to preach and people will hear it in their own language and you don't even know Spanish to begin with. This is how God works. And so this is the challenge of John chapter 9 that they believe in the practical things more than they believe in the miracle, that they are able to identify him more by his dysfunction than what God is doing. But what shook me to my core is this. John chapter nine, watch this, says uh, they asked him, um, how did this happen? He said, a man called Jesus came and put some mud on my eyes, told me to wash in the pool and I came back saying, they said, uh, well, where is it? He said, I don't know. Um, here, here's, here's what I saw is nobody else. You, you don't have to see it. This is just me. Um, what I discovered in the passage uh, was that if he'd never been blind, they'd have never asked him who healed you. Um, I, want you, I, want you to, I want you to sink your teeth into this thing. Uh, because now that they knew who he used to be and they see who he is now, they want to know how did it happen and where is he? And they'd have never asked you about your savior if you never had to be healed. They'll never ask you who gave sight to the blind if you've never been blind before. They would never ask you who provided if you never needed a provider. They never ask you who was the friend that stepped closer than a brother <laughs> if you never needed somebody to stick with you. This is the reality. God is using your life as a platform to preach the everlasting gospel of the kingdom. And you got to get this in your head. Sometimes the gospel is produced in tension. Hmm. What do I mean by that? Uh, <laughs> when I was a child, there were a couple of programs that I loved. I loved MacGyver and I loved the A-Team. Um, both, both of those shows. Uh, and so when I was a little boy, MacGyver could do no wrong. MacGyver could, could take duct tape and a pocket knife and some chewing gum and literally build an airplane and, and, and rescue five people. And, and it was incredible. I love, I love the A-Team. I love, I love, uh, Hannibal and Face and BA and, and, and I love Murdoch. I loved it because, uh, the writers realized in that show where they would shoot and nobody ever got hurt. In, the, in that show where all the cars would blow up and nothing ever happened, uh, what they realized is you have to create tension so that you can show what the hero is capable of doing to overcome the circumstance. Uh, so, so on the 18th, they would, they would, they would be, they, they, they would go and help some, some poor group someplace that, that was just being overthrown by these bullies or whoever it was. And, and eventually they would get trapped 
and they would always trap them in an, an abandoned barn with all sorts of tools or, or in an abandoned factory or a warehouse that had everything they needed to build a tank out of a Schwinn bicycle, right? Or, 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 with, or with MacGyver, they would, they would put him in a situation where all he had was a bottle of bleach under the sink and a rubber tube and, and a pocket knife and some duct tape, and he would create a gas that would knock out all of his enemies. But the writers knew that in order for us to show what the hero is capable of, we have to create tension so that we can show what they can do. Here's what God is doing. Remember, I told you, your life is a platform and it's just giving God some elbow room. Every challenge you're facing, every issue in your season, every problem you're experiencing, every moment of brokenness, if you've never been born blind, they never ask you who healed you. They never ask who Jesus is if they never see you, if, if they've never seen you go through the problem that reveals the character of God. Uh, Paul said it. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are nothing to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. What you need to recognize about this problem that you're facing is that it is nothing more than an opportunity for God to show himself and realize this. I know years ago, we used to sing the song, what God has for me, it is for me. I know that's that, that was one of those things we just love, but let me just share this with you. It's a lie. Um, not everything that God does is just for you. Uh, God is trying to show off to the world through you. Uh, God, God is trying to save your circle of influence through you. God, God is trying to save your family through your experience. God is trying to save your friends through your experience. Uh, in fact, I would go so far as to say that your life is, is on display. That's, that's what, that's what Paul says. Uh, Paul says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. But in that same passage, Paul says that, that all of this is so that, that God can show himself, that in the ages to come, that God can show his character through your life. Essentially, what it means is you're the proof that God heals. You're the proof that God is able. You're the proof that God gives peace in the midst of the storm. You're the proof that God's character is perfect. You're the proof that he can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. You're the proof that God can take you off drugs. You're the proof that God can help you through a divorce. You're the proof that God can give you gladness for your sorrow. You're the proof that God can give you peace in the midst of the storm. You're the proof that God will give you comfort after you've lost a loved one. You're the proof that God can pay bills. You're the proof that God is the bread of life. You're the proof that God is the living water, that you are the proof that God's character is perfect in all his ways. Your life is a platform for God to show his miraculous miracle working power. If they've never been born, born blind, they never ask you who Jesus is. If you've never gone through your pain, they never ask you who healed you. If you never cried a tear, they would never ask who wiped your tears away. John chapter 9 changes our perspective on this pandemic, that it is not simply a, a time of great sorrow, and it is. We, as a church, we cannot afford to be so callous as to say this is just about what we need to get right. This is an opportunity for God to show a hurting world that grace is real, that God is real, that his power is real. He has given us now a platform to show that his love is unshakable, 
that his grace is undeniable, that morning by morning new mercies we see, that this is an opportunity for God to show himself strong. It changes the perspective. John chapter nine changes how we look at suffering. It changes how we deal with pain. We begin to realize that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And sometimes God will intentionally order our steps through tension. That God will intentionally order our steps through the valley of the shadow of death and then have the nerve to say, but I won't let you go alone. Even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil because I'll be with you. Like Jeremiah will struggle and say, God, but but they're going to persecute me if I preach this message. And he says, you can't afford to be afraid of them. I will confound you before them. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. They will get angry with you, but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They might try and bring threats and they might hurl, uh, they, they, they might hurl accusations at you. But this is the reality. Like David, you got to stand still. You've got to look toward the hills from which cometh your help. Your help comes from the Lord. You have to trust and believe that God is on your side. This is simply an opportunity for God to show his power. And I want to remind you today, I want to encourage you uh, that whatever it is that you're experiencing this season, for so many of us, this is uncertain. We're dealing with some uncharted territory, but trust that God's been this way before. I need you to know it that God's been this way before. That's what the Bible says, that we have a high priest who, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. God has been this way before. Uh, so if you'll follow him, he'll lead you through paths of righteousness because that's who he is. He's been this way before. When we study the names of God and we see in Psalms where he says he leads in paths of righteousness for his namesake, I want you to understand the clarity of that that he's saying, he, he's not saying I lead in paths of righteousness in order to protect my reputation. He's not saying that I lead you in paths of righteousness to keep my name clean. He's not saying I'm leading you in paths of righteousness to keep my name holy. He's saying I'm leading you in paths of righteousness for my namesake because my name is righteous. So I can't do anything but lead you in paths of righteousness. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it, he, he's not doing it to protect himself. He's doing it because it's the revelation of himself. Uh, I can't lead you in any other way than who I am. And if I'm righteous, the only way I can lead you is righteousness. Does that make sense? So that means if he's taking you through tension, he's still taking you through paths of righteousness. If he's taking you through broken places, he's still taking you through paths of righteousness. If he's taking you through hurtful experiences, he's still taking you through paths of righteousness. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you to the end. This is the reality of the experience we have with God. That we are his children, the apple of his eye, the object of his affection. But even in all of this, he is using us to show the world that he's real. I want you to change some things. When I was a student at Oakwood, um, you know, all of us had multiple jobs, I'm sure, right? I worked at the Space and Rocket Center, um, like everybody else. Uh, everybody worked at Space and Rocket Center. I worked at Space and Rocket Center. Uh, to this day, my children think I work for NASA, and I have to tell them, no, I did not work for NASA. I just worked for the Space and Rocket Center. Um, uh, I worked at the Space and Rocket Center, and I washed windows. Uh, on campus, try, 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 try being the one who washes the windows of Blake Center. Just try that, all that glass. Remember that. Um, 
I washed windows. I worked at the Space and Rocket Center. I was a, I was a, a, one of the chaplain's assistants for the Office of Spiritual Life, all that stuff, just, just working jobs. And I remember one semester, my grades were struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm working all these jobs and nothing is making sense. My mother, I called my mother. There's something about having a godly mother. Um, I, 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 I called my mother. We're talking. And she said, what's going on? And I said, no, I'm fine. She says, no, you're not fine. I can hear it in your tone. You're not fine. What's going on? And I said, okay, mom, this is what's going on. I'm struggling. My grades are here. I'm working all these jobs. I'm just struggling. This was my mother's response. Godly woman response. She said, I'm just curious to see what God's going to do now. That was it. That was it. She didn't, she didn't give me, she didn't give me a long list of advice. She said, well, I'm just curious to see what God's going to do now. Uh, because, because see, the tension had been created. Uh, it was, it was a perfect situation for God to show up. Um, and, and so, and so after all of the problems that I've experienced and all the pain that I was going through, her response was, well, if all that's going on, then God must be about to do something miraculous. What we have to begin to realize is that our lives are the creation of God. And if our steps are ordered by the Lord, then he is also preparing a scene to show his glory. Um, the beauty of all of this is knowing that he does this on purpose. He does it intentionally to show his glory and to show his character. And I am convinced that in this pandemic, God is still showing what he's capable of through his church. He's still showing his love through people. He's still using us to spread this gospel and he's trying to turn a dying world toward him. Um, this is the last thing I'm gonna share and then I'm done. We, we're, we're finished. I, I'd, shout, I'd shout my way out, but, but I, I just wanna share this from my heart. Um, uh, uh, my, my, my dad um, was a, a baker. Uh, he loved baking. Um, he doesn't bake much anymore. Well, it doesn't bake at all anymore. Uh, but my dad, when I was a child, loved baking. He would grind his own wheat, uh, make flour. Uh, then he, he had all this stuff for making bread. And, and my dad would take pride in his bread. And, and he, would, he would go in the kitchen. He would get all of the raw ingredients, the flour and the oil and all those other things. And he would begin to create this dough. And after he took that dough, he would begin to knead it. I mean, he, he's slapping that thing on the counter. I mean, he's beating it. And after he does that, he would put it in a pan and he let it rise. Sometimes he'd take it back out, beat it some more, put it back in the pan. And then what he would do is he would he would put it in the oven, uh, just the right temperature, um, and and he would watch it. And when he knew it was time, he would bring it out, slice it up. Um, let me let me make sure you get this because I'm going somewhere. Your life is the sum total of all the experiences that you've had and what God has allowed you to go through. In fact, the Bible says uh, that all things work together for the good of them. Uh, it doesn't mean everything is good, but everything works out for good. Uh, you've got all the raw ingredients, but you're nothing until you put your hands in the hands of a master baker. You've got all the raw ingredients. You've got everything that you need to be what God has called and created you to be, but you will never do it until you put your hand yourself in the hands of a master baker. When he does it, he's going to put you on the counter and he's going to begin to need you. And you're going to say, God, I can't take any more of this. I can't deal with any more trials. I can't deal with any more tribulations. And he's needing you because he's getting some things out of you. As he's needing you and needing you, then 
he will put you in a pan and you're saying, God, you're taking away my freedom. Church has too many rules. Scripture is too strict. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not taking the, I'm not taking away your freedom. The love of Christ is constraining you. What you don't realize about pans when you're baking bread is pans actually give that bread shape. Uh, and so what it's doing is it's shaping you into what God has called you to be. And then after that, he's going to slide you into the oven after you've had time to rise. And once you've had time to rise, you begin to think, you know what, I'm doing all right because I'm rising now, right? I'm done with the kneading. I'm, I'm done with the beating. I'm done with all of the pain and tribulation. Now I'm starting to rise and I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself because I look like bread. I'm, I'm beginning to look like a loaf. I'm shaped the right way. I look the right way. I've got the right height. And your whole life, your, your, your whole life is coming together in this experience and realize that the test hasn't even started yet. These are just the preambles to the test. These are just the little pop quizzes that lead up to the final. And so now he puts your pan into the oven and in his own divine purpose, he begins to turn up that heat just enough. Now, now this is the thing about bakers. Master bakers know that how hot the oven needs to be because it may need to be a certain temperature if you're in the mountains and it may need to be a different temperature if you're in the valley. It may have to be one temperature if you're baking in California and another temperature if you're baking in the humidity of Florida. And so this master baker knows just how hot your test needs to be. And you're in that thing. And you're saying, God, it's getting hot in here. I didn't sign on for this. I didn't sign on for you to need me. I didn't sign on for you to shape me. I didn't sign on for this. I didn't sign on for the heat. It's starting to get hot. And, and this is this is how it works. Uh, if he pulls you out too soon, here's 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 what happens with bread. Bread looks good on the outside before it's finished on the inside. You see what I'm saying? So, so even in the oven, it may have the right brownness on the outside, but the inside's still not ready yet. Now, now here's the thing. If he leaves you in too long, you'll get burnt and bitter, bitter and you won't be good for consumption for anybody. But in the fullness of time, have you ever heard that phrase in scripture? In the fullness of time, God knows just how long you need to be in the tribulation of your life. God knows just how long you need to be in the experience you're having. And in the fullness of time, God will slide you out of that oven and you'll look good on the outside, but your character will have caught up to the calling that God has given you. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Bread like Christians are no good to just look at. Uh, what he's going to do now, after he's taken you through that life experience, turn you out onto the, onto the counter and begin to slice you up and serve you to the world around you and say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Your life is not meant for you to be on display. Your experiences are not just so you can look good. God is trying to slice up your life and serve you to the world, serve you to your community, serve you to your circle of influence, serve you to your family so that he can declare to them, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when all of it's over, you'll still be in good hands. I want you to change your perspective on what you're dealing with now. I want you to change your perspective on all of this, that this isn't about, you know, whether or not the church was broken before. This is about the fact that people are hurting right now and that God has called us to do something. This isn't about all oh, woe is me. I'm going through too much right now. You've got to begin to look at your life and say, God, what are you about to do now to show the world who you are? I want to encourage every person that's watching this, that's suffering right now, that God still has a plan. 
that God is still doing great and marvelous things. In fact, we can declare that it's still marvelous, <clears throat> marvelous in our eyes. That whatever it is that God has sent you through, he's still walking through it with you. And it's all to perfect your character. Because if you've never been born blind, they'd never ask you who Jesus is. I want you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Uh, Spirit of the living God, change our perspective. Change our perspective right now, God, so that we begin to look at the things that we endure, the things that we experience. We begin to look at them as an opportunity for you, as a platform for you to stand on the platform of our lives and declare your greatness, your glory, and your soon return. Lord, if we've never gone through what we've gone through, people would never ask us who healed us. If we've never been empty, they'd never ask who filled us. If we never hurt, they'd never ask who healed us. And so, God, thank you for allowing us to travel through the experiences that your sovereignty has already ordained so that we can be a, a display, so that we can, be, uh, we, we can be an example to the world of what you're doing in the world right now so that others would see our God and say, where is he that I may know him? So, Lord, I pray for every person that's listening, every person who will watch and will listen over the next few days that, God, you would show up in tangible ways and show them your presence and your glory. For that single mother who's figuring out, God, what am I going to do? I pray, Lord, that you would show up and show her your presence and her value. For that family that's worried about their child, for that parent who's praying over a kid with cancer, for, for that husband who's praying for a wife, for that wife who's praying for a husband, for that single person who's struggling in this thing alone, for that person who's just trying to make grades or trying to get a new job or whatever it is we're enduring, or for the world who experiences this pandemic and the church who is called to love them. I pray, oh Lord, that you would show up this week and show them who you are. And we testify of your glory. We thank you for your love. Your grace is enough. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen. Let's go ahead and celebrate the man of God. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor Warfield, for being faithful to the call and for delivering that message the way you did. I need everyone to know right now that we're going to take a moment before I offer you an opportunity to do what the preacher has told us to do and to be a blessing in this season. We're going to give you a chance to sow a seed that can go and bless someone who's in financial crisis. We're going to give you that opportunity. But before we do that, I want to ask Dr. Bushner to pray because this is what it, I've learned that oftentimes one of the most vulnerable places uh, for the pastor or for the preacher is right after he's delivered the word. The enemy is not happy about this word going forth, but we're about to pray for the man of God, that God would cover Pastor Warfield and that he would replenish him and yes, he moves forward. Go ahead and pray for us, Dr. Bushner. Pray for yes. this man of God. Yes, Lord, we thank you. We're so grateful that you have used the man of God tonight, Pastor Melvin Warfield. Lord, we pray for a covering over his family, over his life, over his ministry. Strength, living for you. And we thank you for the platform you've given him. We realize that when a man of God preaches, some tension was created in his life so that he'll be able to show forth the glory of God. And tonight we have seen your glory and we thank you for the tension. Continue to bless him, continue to guide him, continue to give him the desires of his heart. And I pray, Lord, 
that when the kingdom of God comes, that he with his family, along with a host of others that he's shared himself with, will be saved in your kingdom at last. Yes. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Again, there is no um, if, ands, or buts about it. God got his glory tonight. Amen. And Pastor Warfield, because we're right in the vein. Did I not say at the very beginning of this live feed that our hashtag tonight was QR Miracles? And then this pastor had the nerve to start talking about how God can pull miracles. He has a habit of pulling miracles out of mess. He told us to change our perspective tonight. And I thank you because this locker room talk, this halftime moment, this spiritual halftime moment was so powerful. And we are excited about what God is doing in our lives. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have 10 more days in this revival. We're at the midway point. We're asking now that you would accept what the pastor has given us as a charge. And let's move forward in these next 10 days. And like Dr. Wister said, at the end of 21 days, our lives will be changed. Habits will be uh, changed. Reprogramming of the mind will, tra will, trans uh, will, will, will happen. And tonight we're grateful that God has positioned us to be a part of this move of his spirit. I want to offer this opportunity for you if you want to give toward this endeavor. You want to help people who are in financial crisis. We want to provide for you the chance. We have PayPal, the quarantine revival at gmail.com is the email that you need to use with PayPal. And then we also have the cash app, which is the quarantine revival, the money sign, the quarantine revival. Every single cent goes toward helping families that are in financial crisis. So please do what you can in order to help those who are in need. We also need you to reach out to us Point us in the direction of people who are in need. If you need some help, some financial support, then reach out to us. Send us a message through private message through the Quarantine Revival Facebook page. Send me an email. TheQuarantineRevival at gmail.com is a great email to use. If you need it or if you know someone else who needs it, please let us know so we can give them the seeds that you all are sowing into this ministerial opportunity. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow where Dr. Bushner is going to bring that power pack word. And again, we say thank you to Pastor Warfield for being used mightily this evening. We love you. At this time, we're going to play our outro and we will see you this eve tomorrow evening. God bless you. Sleep well.